Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. chapter number five, and um, it is an incredible book, the book of Galatians, and um, and I keep turning past it here in my little Bible, Galatians chapter number five, and I, this is where I've been personally, I don't always preach or speak or talk out of texts where, that have, where I've been personally, um, most of the time I go, okay, where do I feel like we are as a corporate, a corporate kind of person? And what do I feel like God's saying to us in this season? But this is a text where I've been personally. And really where it started in me is my family and I just came back from a conference in America where we were with our home church, the, the main location of Ramp Church in the States, and they had a conference. So they have a conference every new year. So they brought our UK team in, including James and Becky Aladrin, and it was amazing to be a part of that event. But James Aladrin, who's on our speaking team here, he also has his own ministry called Prayer Storm, he spoke a message that I've heard several times. He, wrote, he actually wrote a book on it. I've read the book a couple times. I, like, I know the message inside and out. If you've yet to get that, um, it's called, the book is called Life on Fire, James Aladrin. So look it up and uh, definitely get that. It's amazing. But he preached, and it's like every time he preaches that word, I get something fresh out of it. And what he, what he released that really impacted me uh, from that message was this idea of our life in the Spirit and then what the New Testament calls the flesh, which I'm not going to fully unpack today, but I am going to, to, to just define in, in a fresh way for us. And the way that those two, those two realities are at war, has anybody felt like a war on the inside at times? It's so easy to look at wars on the outside. Uh, we just talked about one of those finances, bills or relational wars. Or, but how many of the greater war is actually on the inside? Nobody else, just me. The actual war is on the inside. And sometimes we can really fix stuff on the outside, but there's still something inside that just isn't settled. It's not at peace. It's not at rest. And I think that reality is the deeper reality behind our underneath and behind our life experience. There's actually something going on underneath what we're walking in. And so that idea of, of the flesh and our spirit at war, it just hit me in a fresh way. It's a pretty fundamental idea in following Jesus, but for me it just hit me in a fresh way. So immediately I thought of probably the primary text that we have as Christians that talks about that and it's Galatians chapter 5. So I've been in Galatians all, all year. Um, that sounds impressive, but it's only been three weeks, guys, okay? Two weeks. All year I've been in Galatians. I mean, I've just been pouring. I read it like twice. So been in Galatians, and I want to just pull some truths from this, because here's what I, this is what I believe. This sounds like a bold statement, but here's what I believe. If you get Galatians and the message of, of being led by God's Spirit instead of led by what we're going to unpack called the flesh, 
you will have, you will have a transformative year. Did you hear me? If you can get this truth, this revelation into governing your life, you will have a 2022 that's unlike any other year. Now, uh, this is not a get-rich-quick promise. I'm not saying it's going to be the most enjoyable or joy-filled or happiest or richest year of your life. That's not what I'm promising. But I am saying it could be the most transformative year of your life. That's what I'm saying. And do you know deep down what we really want is change? I know some of you, the people that don't like change, are like, no, I don't want change. Please keep everything the same in my life. But actually down deep, what we really crave is, is the newness of life that God's promised. That's what we really crave. And the journey of following Jesus is not, a, is not a journey of becoming less of myself. It's actually about finding the true authentic me that, that God designed, unfolding all the layers that have covered that up, mending the, the, the broken parts that, that sin, to use a Bible word, that sin has tarnished, and then allowing his spirit to fill my life like wind fills a sail and carry me into what he has for me. Did you hear me? So the journey that I'm inviting you into today is not a journey into church attendance. I hope, I believe in, in, in church attendance. I believe in, in, in the effectiveness of you gathering here today. But that's not, what I'm, that's not really what I'm calling you here today. Let me say it like this. I've seen people attend church for decades and actually not change at all. Wow. I've, I've also seen people attend church for decades and become a worse person. <laughs> and the reason is, is because the call to follow Jesus it's not primarily a call to attend church. It's primarily a call to model our life around the man Jesus, be near him, and that proximity to him causes change and transformation in us. And then the byproduct of that is we live a life that looks more like him. That's, that's the byproduct. And that's why you'll see sometimes transformation happen in people who faith is very fresh to them in their life. Because for them, the things of God are all new. And it's like they're going, man, I want this in every facet of my life. But sometimes that tenacity in us wanes. The transformation that's available to us becomes common. And we stop pressing in for greater transformation. Galatians kind of steps into that process. A bit. And so I want to I want to read Galatians 5 verses 13 through 25. Now, Galatians is a really short book. You you could sit down and read it the whole the whole book, the whole letter. It was really a letter. We call it a book. It's a letter in about 20 minutes. So I would suggest you do that at, at some point this week. But I'm just gonna really read chapter 5, verses 13 through 25. I'm reading in, in the in the NIV. Translation. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Anybody in yet? Sign my name up on that list. 
But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Say flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Uh, thank you, Facebook. Verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires, say desires. Some translations say lusts, some, of, some more traditional translations, because, um, because it's trying to get at, there's something bigger than just, oh, I kind of want that. It's, it's a deep desire. For the flesh desires or lusts what is contrary to the spirit, say spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not... So that you are not able to do, so that you, let's see, they're in conflict with, with each other. Let's try that again. I, I, I do know English. So that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I'm going to unpack some of this. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. This is the word of God. Well, uh, I am generally, in my speaking and my preaching, I am generally hesitant to preach on verses that, ov that overtly mention specific sins. That surprises you probably. But I'll give you a little insight into the way I, I, I think and I prepare talks. And I, I maybe would do different in a different culture, but in our Western culture... We think about serving God and religion as often morality. We equate what it means to follow Jesus as not necessarily meeting God, learning from Him and hearing from Him, but being good people. Does that make sense? Some of, some of us are, are hesitant to go to church because we go, ah, oh, those are just good people. Like, I, I don't, don't put me in that category for sure. That's how much we associate church or religion with morality. So, but I just want to let you know, Christianity is not moralism. All right, this, is, this is a quick little caveat before we get into my message. Christianity is not moralism. We don't serve at the feet of a moral code. Are you with me? We serve at the feet of Jesus and we follow Jesus... And the point of this scripture, this is why he uses the, the, this, this botanical metaphor, analogy of fruit, is that because of the life change that God produces in us, it creates a different way to live. Are you, are you tracking? The reason why it's important for us to list these things, and the reason why Paul lists these things, 
is because it becomes evidence of God's operation in our life. So this is kind of what, what Paul's getting to here. If you see these things in your life, you may think you're on the path to human flourishing, but you're not. So it's not the starting point. The starting point is don't the starting point is not this. Clean your life up and Jesus will accept you. That's not the starting point. The starting point is realize Jesus accepts you and makes you able to receive from the Holy Spirit. And when you receive from the Holy Spirit, it's going to produce a different lifestyle. Now, I would suggest, if you have enough self-control to change your lifestyle, that's, that's a good thing to do. But there are some things that only the working of the Holy Spirit in your life can produce in you. This is why church is not actually full of amazing good people all the time. Because it, it's not like a nation where we're governed, a nation is governed by laws. You can inherit laws, right? You can inherit democracy. You can inherit a judicial system. Like I didn't have to like create, I, I wasn't born and then had to create the government, right? We inherit all those things. Church is not like that. Every new generation, in fact, every individual has to invite God's government into their own life. So the Christian life is not something, I don't inherit the Christian life. It's not like, well, you have a really great relationship with God, Mom. Thanks for passing that down to me. You live really well. Thanks for, now I live really well. That's a, it's, it doesn't work that way. Because the government of God is, is directly connected to the way I invite him into my life and then exercise that. Are you with me? Which is why the best Christian lives happen over decades, years. If I do this thing right and you do this thing right, you'll be more in love with Jesus when you're 78 than you are right now. If you do this thing right. You'll be more passionate for mission. You'll have more generosity in your life. You will, you will live like Jesus more then than you do now. It's not, this is not like a youth-filled, like... Yay, I'm really on fire and I'm passionate about the things of God. And then someday I'll settle down, get life as normal, and then care about really, you know, normal things. It's a trajectory that I start and over years and decades God processes my heart. So Galatians, as you dive into it this week, is an amazing thing. And it, it takes multiple readings to understand really what Paul's getting at here. And he brought the law in there. This is really what Paul's after. He's comparing a self-salvation project to a Jesus salvation project. And I'm going to unpack that a bit more in, in a minute. But that's really important for us to understand. But here's, here's what I'm going to talk about in this message today. I'm going to talk about five different aspects of change that we can learn for, from this Galatians passage. I, I genu genuinely believe 2022 can be the most transformative year of your life. And I think Galatians has something to tell us, five things that it can tell us about what change looks like. It tells us the audience for change, the source of change, the enemy of your change, the process of your change, and the results of your change. Anybody ready? The audience for change. You know one of the things that surprises me about this book is... Paul is actually writing to church people. 
He's, he's not writing to, to the people who were, who were clubbing last night in Manchester City Center. Right? That's who the church sometimes gets a reputation for yelling at. Hey, you, y'all ain't living right. Get your life right. And all this thing. That's, that's not what he's, he's talking to church people. All of that whole list of things that he just gave. He's talking to the people in his church. He's not yelling at people who aren't in the church. This is the, the audience for this transformation message is you and I. I need to go, well, I'm not having orgies every weekend. Well, maybe you are vicariously through Netflix. Hey, there, is, there are things we entertain. There are things we entertain in our life that, that we're vicariously experiencing or enjoying or in agreement with. And that is what? That is a fruit or a result of life lived from the flesh. Now, the, the word flesh is very nuanced in, in the New Testament. We, 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 we narrow it down. I'm going to narrow it down. But I, this is not what this message is about. I wish I could preach a whole message on the flesh, and maybe someday I will. But the flesh is, of course, these, these, this desire at war within us. But ultimately, one of the things that, that Paul's getting at here is it is self-government. It's, it's the desire to do things my way. That's what the flesh is. That's what Paul's getting at. And Paul's saying, when you govern your own life, here's going to be the results. Dissensions, thank you, political commentary, and Facebook, right? If that's what's coming out of our life, you, you don't have to wonder about the source. Paul just told us this is the source. The source is you're living out of the flesh. And sometimes we entertain a lifestyle through the media we, 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 um, we consume, the conversations we have. It's amazing. We'll, we will sign an online petition to stop sex slavery, but then we'll objectify people as we're watching them walk down the street. I'll just speak to you gents for a minute. Sometimes we will support government things. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm for that. I'm for that. But the way, we view, the, way we, the way we view other people is we're objectifying them. It's the same spirit. It's the same thing. One's run rampant, one's run all the way to the end of that journey, but it is the same source. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. It's the same source. Where are we living out of? Where are we living out of? Paul's getting at that. The, the audience of change for this, for this passage is Christians. Church attendance isn't enough. Joining a ramp church community small group isn't enough. Serving on Sundays isn't enough. We're the audience for change. Here's, here's the thing. Getting your life right does not mean you're saved. Can I just make that clear? Just can't say that enough. But if your faith and your salvation does not produce life change, you need to question the quality or the validity of your faith. Are you hearing me? That's what Galatians is getting at here. Salvation is not about works, but saving faith always has works. That's what Paul's getting at here. We, you and I, are the audience for change. Some of you are Jesus followers and you have cycles of broken relationships, job losses, hindering habits, because you've not yet got 
you've not yet got to the place of transformation in the presence of God. I'm going to get to the answer here in a minute. I'm just making you show, I'm showing you how bleak the problem is. Am I feeling it yet? First, the first aspect of change that we've got to understand is we've got to own that we're the audience for change. You know, one of the most, one of the most powerful and effective sources of change for, for alcoholics is Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I'm not going to dive into that, but there's some really neat things behind that. Do you know one of the things they realized is they, they, need, they have to make people in that lifestyle of addiction admit, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Because part of the addictive tendency is to disqu disqualify myself from that lifestyle. I look at each moment of failure as an isolated event. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing better now. That was a hard one. That was a hard season. And they realize that the first step is actually admitting, I, I have a problem. I need change. There's something here that should shift. And I think sometimes we don't like admitting that. I'm just, I'm just speaking to myself. And the signs can be all around me. My wife can be shouting at me. My kids, it's evident that I am I'm not giving them what they need. And I'm, I'm ignoring it. And sometimes the first step is just to go, yep, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I need change. Something in my life needs to change. You and I are the audience in, in Galatians. Number two, the source of change. So we, we, know, we know we're the ones who, are, who need to change here. Thank you, Paul. Not somebody else. The second thing is the source of change. Paul identifies that the source of change is actually outside of you and I. See, oftentimes when we preach this, this chapter, we preach it as if my flesh and my spirit are at war within me. So we're like, you need to strengthen your spirit. And there is a case for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 goes deeper into that. If you want to read more on that, that angle. Galatians is not saying that. Did you notice every time it says spirit, it's a capital S? That the journey of the flesh in the spirit in Galatians is a journey between my flesh and God's spirit. That the war is not always just me with me, but the source of my change is not you getting your act together. The source of your change is to invite the Holy Spirit into your life. That's why the flesh is primarily self-government. And it's inviting the government of God. Do you know every faith system, including secularism, identifies a source of change? Even, even if you have no faith, for, for you, you have some idea on what's wrong and how to make it right. Well, people are just lazy. I'll tell you, what's, I'll tell you what people need. They just need to get off their, their tail end and work. Hey, that, maybe that's your, I, I did it. I came from nothing. Pulled myself up by my bootstraps and look, look what I got now. You know, I'm a self-made man. Well, that's, you just explained your journey to salvation and the way you think the world is going to be saved. So what's your source? Your own efforts. That's your salvation project. That's your source of change. But see, r religious people sometimes do the same thing. Their idea is church attendance, giving in the offering, giving to poor people, praying prayers, reading, reading my Bible. And that is the source of my change. That is what's going to transform my life. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You think it's the law, it's the Spirit. It's actually the Holy Spirit. And when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, He is the source of change. Um, we're in the middle of a church-wide fast right now. I hate fasts. 
They're awful. Yeah, can I get an amen? Yeah. So we're in the middle of fasting right now. And one of the things that you'll notice when you fast is that your body like starts to cleanse things. I'm not going to give you any more detail than that. Your body starts to cleanse things. And this is what that showed me when I, when I just was experiencing what was happening in my body. You get these strange, you know, like feelings inside. And, yeah, and you're like, man, my body. Here's what, I, here's what I realized. Not everything that's food feeds me. Not everything that's food feeds me. Because what happens when you fast is your body is holding on to all that's inside of you that, that gives it actual nutrients. And everything that's just carrying along for the ride, it goes. So just because you're eating it, just because it is a source that you are consuming in your life, does not mean that it's giving you life-giving nutrients. It's what fasting reveals. Jesus says this like this in John chapter 3, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. When the source of your change is flesh, flesh will be the result. Let me dive a bit deeper in that. Some of you are, um, are at peace in your life. We noticed that the fruit of the spirit there, one of them was peace. Some of you are at peace in your life, but it, it didn't come from a work of the spirit. It, it actually comes because you're, you're a proudful person. You are a self-made person. And you're enjoying a sense of peace. But the, the, the wild thing about peace that's, that's created by fleshly means, it's, it's never associated with humility. Well, because I did that. I, I created that peace. I created that work. That was me. What, what happened? Flesh bore flesh. Some of you are gentle just by nature. You're like Enneagram, Myers-Briggs gentle. That's just who you are. You just interact with the world in a gentle way. It's not, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's just the way you're wired. But oftentimes, you lack faithfulness. There's not the grit there. Because sometimes you, you maybe avoid problems. You're not going to confront somebody else. Because that's just who you are. And So the gentleness isn't rooted in humility or love for the other person. It's more, it's more just rooted in the, I, don't, I want to avoid problems. Well, that, that's a selfish motive. You want to avoid problems. Am I just preaching to myself? It's awful quiet in here, Ram Church. <laughs> that's a gentleness that's not, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's just who we are. That's the, when the source of your change is flesh, flesh will be the result. Whatever you use to create change will leave its mark on whatever follows. Peace, maybe you're gentle but you're not faithful. Maybe you have self-control but it's through superiority. I heard Tim Keller use an illustration one time that I love. He said, you know, oftentimes um, we look at men and we, th we, think of, we think men, you know, men obviously they don't cry generally as much as women about a situation. He said, but oftentimes that's because when they were boys and they were young and they started to cry, we told them things like, don't be a girl. Don't be a girl about that. So they learn not to cry about things. And so what we've actually done is we've, we've given them a superiority complex. That you're greater than a girl and you don't cry. So my self-control against crying is rooted in the fact that I think I'm superior to someone else. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Are you tracking? I'm glad that you're resilient and stable through that problem. But if it's not rooted in the Spirit, then you're just producing more flesh. 
Is anybody really overwhelmed with the problem yet? I'm getting to the solution at some point. Some of you are joyful, bubbly, but you can't keep friends. You're tolerant, maybe, of other people's lifestyles, but it's because you really want to make room for your own bad lifestyle choices. Can I just get real? Maybe you're at peace, but it's just because it's, it's indifference. It's apathy about life. These aren't fruit of the Spirit. It's an isolated characteristic that may look like a fruit of the Spirit, but it's not born of the Spirit. It's born of the flesh. The first thing that Galatians tells us is who the audience for change is. The second one is the source of change. And you've got to understand, if the source of change is your flesh, the transformation you want in 2022 is not going to end up like you, like, you, like you want it to be. But if the source is Spirit, guess what? Everything that comes from the Spirit's work in your life is going to be spirit. In the same way that whatever the flesh produces is flesh, whatever the Spirit produces is spirit. That's the alternative reality. Did you notice in Galatians that, that Paul doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit? He says the fruit, singular. And the reason he says the fruit singular is because when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, they all grow together. You don't just have self-control, you also have humility. You, you're tracking with me here. And when you start to see fruits, individual, you have to wonder, ooh, did I do that? Was that because I've been hanging out in the positive thoughts section of Waterstone's bookstore? Or... Is that because I've really been in the presence of God and he's doing a transformative work in my life? Because when the Holy Spirit works in our life, there's a, there's, there is a continuity to the gifts increasing. I have peace and patience and self-control and love. I see all of these things increasing at the same time. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling this? The source of change, the fruit of the Spirit. The third thing that Galatians shows us is the enemy of change, your flesh. Your flesh. For the sake of this teaching, I'm going to define this as your own self-rulership. Christian or not, we're all living our own salvation plan or our best life or our journey of enlightenment or our spiritual awakening or our road to success and fulfillment, whatever you call it. Whatever that is, you have a plan. You've, you've, you've identified what's wrong and what needs to be fixed. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're living out a different one, right? You may disagree with the Jesus way of salvation, but that doesn't mean you're not religious. You listening to me? This is what Paul's addressing in much of Galatians. He's saying essentially that if you want to judge yourself by a law, you'll have to judge yourself by the fullness of that law. And if you break a single commandment, you're worthy of judgment. This is your own laws. The own way you judge your own salvation project. I love this because Paul recognizes something that's important for you and me to see. He recognizes that each of us has been given the autonomy and the ability to decide who or what will guide our lives. Whether a faith system or philosophy or science or your own personal desires. But what we must do is live and die by that system. We must be consistent in our beliefs and judgments. You have even biblically the right to live the way you want. 
That's a God-given right. Human rights are rooted in God's revelation to us about how we live in this world. If you decide, for example, as many do, that there's no firm, immovable moral law, every person can decide for themselves what's right, what right and wrong is. If that's your salvation project. You do you, I'll do me, we'll all get along just fine. If the way you judge the validity of an idea is whether a person was authentic to their own truth, then you must, according to your own admission of your belief system, be consistent with that belief in every area of your life. Which means you can't then turn around and say something to another person that, feels, that they feel is right. You can't tell them that's wrong. That's inconsistent with your own belief system. You must live and die by the law you've chosen. Are you, you hearing me? This is important for understanding Paul and Galatians. On the other hand, maybe you're a person with very strong religious convictions. In your mind, the way you judge the validity or quality of a person or action or decision is by its adherence to the religious vision of right and wrong. There isn't the fluidity of right and wrong that we just discussed. You're convinced there's a right way, there's a wrong way to do things. You must use the same standard on yourself in every area of life. And more than that, you must recognize that when you contradict that standard, you're worthy of judgment. No excuses. Paul spends the first half of Galatians explaining that that is true for you and I. We would generally consider these two perspectives radically different. Someone that sees moral relativism and someone that, that has a religious conviction on morality. We would generally see those two as polar opposites. But Paul doesn't. The first one's open and tolerant and empowering, while the second is repressive and demanding and intolerant. Maybe you'd say the second, though, is, maybe you would say the second is strict, clear, safe, orderly. Maybe that's where you come from. While the first is touchy-feely, cloud-cuckoo land, maybe. Paul doesn't see those perspectives as radically different because they are both based on our own power and ability to make them happen. They are both self-government. To Paul, the contrast isn't between the moral relativists and a strict faith religious system because both of these require you and me to live and die by the law we've chosen. To Paul, the contrast is between any and every self-salvation project, whether overtly religious or pagan or secular, and trust in Jesus' salvation project. That's the contrast. That's what Paul's getting at in Galatians. In the first, we become our own prophets, our own priests. We facilitate and mediate the principles of our own self-salvation project. In the second, Jesus is the prophet and the priest. Jesus facilitates and mediates the salvation project. The first is based on your ability, my ability to adhere to the tenets of our chosen life. In the second, we trust in Jesus' adherence to the tenets of his chosen life. Paul's, Paul's point with all of this is that one of these options is slavery and the other is freedom. One of these options is slavery, and the other is freedom. We think that redefining morality, that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, with whoever you want to do it, whenever you feel like doing it. We think that that's freedom. Paul says, no, you're now being ruled, not by someone else, you're being ruled by your own desires. You know what you've done? This is what Paul would say. You've traded an external tyrant for an internal tyrant. You know how I know that? I'm a pastor. I've talked to plenty of people in this. 
Try to say no to the thing that holds you bound. You can't. When it comes calling, you say yes. You pick up the phone. It could be a hindrance, an addiction, a relationship. When it comes calling, you pick up the phone. Paul would say, you think that's freedom. That's not freedom. The only government that sets its citizens free is the government of Jesus Christ. That's the only government that sets its citizens free. To Paul, the enemy to deep, lasting change is over-reliance on ourself. That's the enemy of lasting change. Galatians identifies the audience of change. Galatians identifies the source of change, the enemy of change, and now the process of change. See, Paul uses a, um, a botanical illustration. He, he uses the word fruit, which, which I really don't like. He could have used so many other metaphors for the way change happens in our life. He could have used a builder who comes and one day there's, there's an empty space of land and then they build a structure and that's how change comes, right? I would have really liked that if he used that. Or he could have used uh, searching for a well. If you come and there's, you have no water, you dig a well, and hey, you have a source of life. That would have been great too. But he uses, he uses plants, which go to show change is gradual. Change is gradual. It takes time. It takes time. That's a pro tip for you. Paul uses a botanical illustration to help us understand change. If the spirit is involved, though, you will grow. While I was university age, my parents lived in a really old brick house. I say really old, like American really old. I need to put that in context. Really old house in Nashville that was a big brick house. So, and the, the house was older than a lot of the trees that were around it. But there were some pretty big trees in, in, our, in our garden. And... But we started over time having some like sh like structural issues with the house. It was one of those old houses where you could like you could like put a pen down on the wood floor and then it would like just roll all by itself. You know what I'm talking about? Like you don't want to drop your pen if you're journaling or something because then you have to walk on the other side of the room. It was slanted, foundation issues. Come to find out, one of those big trees, the roots of the tree had grown in in around the foundation of the house, and the house over time had, had started to tilt. Now. This house was a big, brick, sturdy house. When that, when that seed of that tree fell on the ground, do you think anybody would have given that seed a chance? It's like a no-brainer. Like the house, I mean, there's no way that seed has a chance to grow there. But you know what? It is a no-brainer. The seed's going to win every time. Because gradual change in the right direction is going to overcome whatever is hindering you. Are you hearing me? You just got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. There can be structures in your life that will shift if you just submit to the process of change. You know you can't feel growth, but you can measure it. We have a piece of wood at, my, at, my, uh, at Stacy's parents' house where we measure the kids. And you can like see the little lines. You know, Every time we go over there, we measure them again. They, uh, we don't go next time and they're like, so do you feel taller? They're like, yeah, I feel so tall. No, I mean, you, you don't have it. You, have, you just have to measure growth. Some of you are growing, and you, you, you've not taken the time to look back and realize how far you've come. Yeah. 
How far you've come, you're living defeated because you've, you don't realize God has brought me somewhere and I just haven't taken the time to look back and see this is what he's done in my life. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. So the process of change. And five, the result of change. Galatians tells us the result of change. And do you know it's not to be a really nice, good person? That's not where he goes here. Do you know, let me sum it in one word. He says it, love. Love. Love is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Love. love. The Christian understanding of love is not this emotional, romantic feeling, though. I know that's what Hollywood wants to make you feel. But that's not it. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't command us to love. Because you can't command an emotion. Right? Love. <laughs> feel affectionate feelings for that person over there. I mean, you can't do that. So the biblical understanding of love is much different. It's much more holistic. It's much more, it's much more all-encompassing of our life. And it's rooted in Exodus 34 when God revealed himself to Moses as a God who loves. And it's primarily rooted in a radical choice to serve and give to someone else. That's what it's rooted in. It's not rooted in emotion. Emotions come. Emotions are part of it, but it's rooted, it's rooted in a self-giving. Every time in the Old Testament that the word for love, the Hebrew word for love is mentioned, it is never merely an abstract feeling, but it always entails practical action. And it looks like this. This is the way you can go, you can go ahead, Alex, thank you. It looks like God in the Old Testament and the New Testament binding himself to us. For our sake. That's what it looks like. That's what love looks like. What's the, pro what's the product of the Spirit being involved in our life? It, yes, it looks like peace and joy. And, but ultimately, it results in a life of love, of self-giving to each other. That's what transformation looks like. And here's, here's the call. Here's the call at the end of this. And this is a beautiful, beautiful verse in John chapter 15. You go, well, Joe, that's, you know, there's a lot of weight in that message, a lot of pressure to have to change. The, the, the pressure isn't on you. pressure on you is, is, is to in, invite the Holy Spirit's work in our life. But Jesus spoke directly into this. One of, one of his most incredible uh, messages in John chapter 15. And this is what he said. Let's read it together. Or I'll read it to you, but let's look at it together. John 15. Can you put that verse up for me? John 15. This is, this is what Jesus says. How do you... Produce the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says this, remain in me. You find Jesus and you live in him. And this is what he says, I will also remain in you. It's not conforming my life to some moral code. It's finding Jesus where he is and choosing to be there with him and inviting him into my world. As I also remain in you. No branch, thank you, fruit, botanical. Jesus is in the botanical vibe too. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. In case you missed it, you're the branch, he's the vine. I'm the branch, he's the vine. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Go to the next verse. Verse 5. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I just tell you, if you've been trying to live some sort of salvation project in the name of God or in the name of yourself without remaining in God, it will be a fruitless journey. It doesn't matter how much you muster up. You can find all the self-control you want to in your life. It's going to produce pride. It's, kind of, it's like trying to push a beach ball under a pool. It'll pop up somewhere else. It's going to pop up somewhere. And it's going to take a whole lot of effort to keep it under. But what happens when you invite the Holy Spirit in your life, when you remain in Jesus, He remains in you. Fruit's the byproduct. It's just, a, it's automatic. Stand on your feet. Hold on this room. Band, you can go ahead and come forward. We're a bit late. Thank you guys for staying. Thank you for your attention, staying focused through, through that message. And here's the invitation today. The invitation for 2022, this is what, if you could do anything this year, it would be make the decision to do whatever it takes to remain in Jesus. The beautiful thing about that is you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to, you don't have, to have been a, a, a Christian for 50 years. It's not about that. You could be a Christian for two minutes. Make the decision, I'm going to stay in Him. You could be a pharmacist. You could be a musician. You could be a construction worker. I mean, it doesn't matter. Are you tracking with me here? It works in every facet of life, every age stage, every stage of life, kids, no kids, career, no career, whatever. You can find Him and stay in Him, and life transformation is the byproduct. Let's pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to remain in Jesus and to invite Him to remain in us. And we do that today in a fresh way. If that's you, just something out of your mouth. Just say, I want you, Jesus. Or Today's the day. I'm making that decision. Let 2022 be the year. Father, where we, where we learn how to abide in you and you in us. And I thank you that our fruitfulness flows out of intimacy with God. We want that in our life today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.